Are y'all ready? Now, this is going to be, this is an easy one today. Next week's the challenging one. Make sure you're here next week. Yeah, that's going to be a doozy next week. So today, uh, we're right back at Hebrews 11. And if you want to turn there, and we're also going to be reading out of Romans 4, but that'll be a little while. Okay, Hebrews 11, we are talking about Abraham, and Abraham is a very, very important person that we need to understand all about his life, and you can tell by how many verses are dedicated to him in this Hall of Faith chapter of 11. And I'm going to be rereading some verses, and then we're going to be reading a few more uh, past where we've read before. So here's uh, 11, 8 through 16. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Notice promises. And who made the promise is key. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. You know, Sarah didn't have much faith in herself at all, but when she finally realized she needed to turn her faith toward the one who made the promise, that's when things started to happen. Therefore, sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Do you believe it? Do you believe this? Do you believe that God has your best interest in mind and all that he's done to prepare a way for you to get back to him. Adam fell, and we needed a way back. And this story of Abraham gives us a beautiful picture of how to get back. Listen to this story. 
This is called the walk of faith. Now remember, Abraham's name was Abram. And, you know, we get a new name. Everybody seems to get a new name in the Bible. They're, 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 they have a name, and it's more of a worldly name, and then something happens to them, and they're a new creature, and they need a new name. <clears throat> Abram deeply valued God's favor above all else. So, believing God's promise that he would become the father of a great nation in the land of Canaan, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. As Abram and his nomadic tribe of herdsmen journeyed down through the land, which is modern-day Lebanon, Jordan, and Israel, one day God spoke to him and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he... Notice, a lot of what I'm going to be saying today, we need to remember, especially for next week. Next week's going to be a, a, a contrast. It's going to be uh, an example of the way you don't want to go compared to Abraham here. But notice... He said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. See, Abraham, when he heard from God, he, it was so significant to him that he built an altar. And the Lord said unto Abram, For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall, they, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Genesis 13, 14 through 17. Over the next 10 years, Abram had several exciting and trying events as he traveled from place to place throughout Canaan and even into Egypt to avoid a famine. But there was one big problem. Abram and Sarai remained without a child. Sarai had, had never been able to conceive, and Abram was approaching that age when he would no longer produce seed the promise of God hinged on them having children. So, with Abram now about 85 years old, they were growing concerned. Abram began to doubt, to think maybe he should take steps to fulfill God's promise before it was too late. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing to, to be behind God and then not keep up with God. But it's an even more dangerous thing to get out ahead of God. So he planned to adopt as his heir a young man named Eliezer, who had grown up in his, house, in his, in it, in his family. The word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield 
and thy exceeding great reward. That sounds familiar. Sounds like a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. What was, what was Abram's response? He has no children. He doesn't see how he could ever have children. And God has taken him out and showed him the stars and said, you're going to have so many descendants. Try to count them. What would your response be? Now, Abraham's response is, is critical right here. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it, God counted it, to him for righteousness. That's critical that you, that you see that. Simply believing what God has told you, putting all your faith in Him who has promised, that you will be counted righteous even though you're not. That's Genesis 15, 1-6. God had made a promise ten years earlier, but delayed fulfilling it until circumstances made it look less likely to come to pass. You know, God might give you a promise, and you think things are going to start getting better, but things might actually look worse and worse and worse. You see that how this is playing out? That was not by accident. God was testing Abram's faith to make it stronger. God wanted a man to believe him despite circumstances to the contrary. So God confirmed the promise made earlier, the promised child would be born of Abraham's seed. In the meantime, Abram, you can start counting the stars, for your descendants will be as the stars in number. Now, again, think about what Abram said, what, he, what his response was. He believed in the Lord. He believed in God's ability to accomplish what he promised. He believed in God's commitment to his promises, he believed God had a program that was operating on schedule. You know, God's schedule doesn't match up with what we think it should be. But do you believe His schedule over what you think? This believe in is a synonym for faith. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is the first outright mention of the doctrine of Imputed righteousness. Righteousness by God's decree. Abram, like most men, was what you call a good man. Just a good man. He was not a law-breaking criminal. He was fair and just in his dealings. He was not angry or violent. But like all men, Abraham was far from sinless. In the course of his wanderings, 
He had disobeyed God, doubted God, proven himself a coward. Remember when he went into Egypt and he, he said, uh, Sarah, just tell them you're my sister. And lied on several occasions. Now that, and that's an amazing story to me. I mean, think about how old Sarah was when they went into Egypt to avoid the famine. And she was so beautiful that the men in Egypt wanted to take her and, and present her to, to, the, to the king. She was, pomegranates must do a body good. So he was a coward. He lied on several occasions. He was good according to human standards. But he was a sinner before God as seen by his actions. Abram didn't exemplify the righteousness required to get into heaven. But he had one thing going for him, one thing that set him apart from others. He believed in the Lord. When God continued to deal with mankind after the fall, it was with understanding that all were sinners and none worthy of his presence. I would love to read all of Romans 3 to you, but that's your homework assignment. You can do that on your own. Romans 3. When the angels sinned, they were just pretty much flat out rejected, for they had no desire to make amends. But God was pursuing a path of redemption for the sons of Adam, and believing was the only avenue available to all sinners alike. Just believing. The main concern was that if God were to pardon a sinner, was there reason to expect a positive and productive response? What if he forgave the sin debt and the sinner took it as an opportunity to sin even more, knowing there would be no retribution? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Don't think that way. Romans 6.1 God had grace upon the weaker human race and opened a small door by which a fallen son of Adam could get back into God's favor. It was from faith man had fallen, and it was through the door of faith he must return. So God decreed faith to be the sole condition of forgiveness, for to have faith is to return to the original model, the original ground for fellowship. Faith is the baseline for all person-to-person -person relationships. Now, make sure you understand the person-to-person -person relationship. You know, on a worldly level, on a human level, it's true. But you need to think about God in heaven as a person. Jesus Christ as a person that wants to have relationship with you. It is the point of agreement, cooperation, trust, and mutual goodwill. Faith is the condition for ongoing reconciliation and restitution. God simply asks the sinner to return the faith he extends. God has faith in us as he calls us to repentance we have faith in Him to be our Redeemer. 
Our faith begins in His faithfulness. So, when God saw that Abram believed in Him, I mean, when, when Abram said, I believe God, and then God saw that, and, and, and God saw that Abraham believed in His program, His wisdom, His promises, He looked at that faith and said, that is righteousness. And just think about an angel going, that man is not righteous. He, he, he just has faith in you, Lord. And God's like, I see through that little faith to a heart ready to worship and obey. I am calling it something it is not yet, but in time will be righteousness. Now listen to this very carefully. No doubt, those believers who came before, people like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Job, were also recipients of imputed righteousness. It's a mistake to think that Old Testament characters were saved by their works or that they were saved by looking forward, forward to Christ's atonement. Even the disciples were not looking to the atonement the very day before His crucifixion. Now turn over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 matches up with this story of Abraham. Justification through faith. Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, notice how he has talked about as being our father over and over again. He is Father Abraham. People will say, well, he was the father of the Jews. Well, that's true. But he was also father of all those who believe. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. How many times have you heard that today? Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So, we've got to be careful not to get works ahead of uh, salvation. That we don't bring anything to the table. It's all in what God has offered to us and what He has done for us. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, what happens is, when you read verse 2, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. But then you turn over to James chapter 2, I believe it's verse 24, where James said that because of what Abraham did in taking Isaac up on the mountain, he was justified by his works. And faith without works is dead. Now, and then if you are unlearned in the Bible, then you're very quick to say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. People who don't like the Word of God, they'll say, see there, that right here in Romans it says that no works involved at all and you're justified, 
But then over here in James, he says that he's justified by the works that he did. All right. So I was talking to uh, Joseph last night, and I said, all right, Joseph, imagine if I brought in two people, two men in front of you. You've never met them before. And if I tell you that this one, on a scale of 1 to 10, his faithfulness to God is like up around 8. Pretty, pretty good. But this one over here, his faith level is down around 4. But you don't know them, and you don't know that. Only I know that. And I bring them in here, and I set them before you. Can you see their faith? Can you see it? Can anybody in here see the level of faith? You can't see it at all. The answer is no. Can God see their faith? Oh, yeah. Now, if I let these two men go, and they go out and you watch the way they live, the things that they do over a period of time by their actions, by their works, you will be able to tell which one has the bigger faith than the other one because you can see actions. God sees the heart. So all James is talking about, you know, you've got preachers who try to discount James and say, well, it's written to the Hebrews, and, you know, that sometimes drives me crazy. You know, if it's in our Bibles, it's there for us. All of it is. It's there for us. Now, we have to rightly divide it, but don't try to discount it and push it out and say it's not for you. It is for you. Because that is the way we measure whether we're real believers or not is what, what does that faith that we have in God and His promises, how, how are we living our life? And for those who are truly born again... They don't have to go out and try to do things to prove to everybody else that they're saved. Because they're a new creature, they just go out and do different things than they used to do. You know, they used to do sinful things and it didn't bother them. Now, if they go to do those things, it bothers them. There's something in them that says, no, that's not right. I can't do that anymore. You become in love with the Word of God. You want to be in the Word of God. And as humans, we see that. We see the actions of other people, and we can make a measurement on how much faith they have. But if you've missed this, all that could be for show. Because there's plenty of people who are out there trying to prove to themselves and everybody else that they're saved when they never got the first part right. But we're not supposed to be into judging all that we're supposed to be into getting ourselves right with God. Be like Abraham and believe God. Don't worry too much about what others are doing. 6. This is back to Romans 4, verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? 
not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Does that make sense to you? Abraham was the first man on this earth that was circumcised by God. When he believed God, was he circumcised at that point? No. It was going to be a while. So, he's the father of all who believe, not just to the circumcised or the Jewish nation, but to anybody who follows his example and believes God. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. There it is. Though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. Now here's, here's a little comment by Charles Spurgeon. The historical argument is a forcible one. The blessing was not given to Abraham as a circumcised man, but as a believing man. And hence, it also comes to all of us who believe. What a mercy it is that there is, in this sense, no distinction between Jew and Gentile. Now listen to this. This is Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, back in the 1800s. He says, I hate that plan of reading the Scriptures in which we are told when we lay hold of a gracious promise, oh, that is for the Jews. Spurgeon said that. Then, I also am a Jew, for it is given to me. Every promise of God's Word belongs to all those who have the faith to grasp it. We who have faith are all in the covenant and are thus the children of faithful Abraham. Verse 13. For the promise that, that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him, who, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. There's another key verse that keeps coming up. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, 
when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Here's something else from Spurgeon. He's, Spurgeon is uh, reading this scripture. He says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. People seem to think that only workers can give glory to God. But more glory is given to God by one uh, who has just a tiny bit of faith than by a ton of works. After all, works usually generate conceit and pride in us. But faith lays itself low before its God and gives to him all the glory. God is never more glorified than he is by the believing confidence of his people when difficulties seem to come in the way. Back to this text, 21. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Think about that. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Jesus Christ is the great object of saving faith. Christ, once dead, has been raised from the dead. If you want to be saved, you must rely on the crucified and risen Savior. If you thus believe that Jesus, the crucified, is the Christ of God, the anointed Messiah and Redeemer, you prove that you are born of God. And if you trust yourself to the risen and glorified Christ, you have risen with Him, and you will rise to be with Him forever and ever. Amen. That's another quote by Spurgeon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we thank you for this story of Abraham that is in our Bibles. Father, uh, many of us know this story very, very well. But Father, there are those who don't know this story. And Father, it doesn't matter how many times I read it, I get just as excited as before, seeing all the wonders that you did for this man and his wife. Father, your promises can be counted on. Father, I pray that each and every one of us here has a faith like our father Abraham and has heard your word and your promises. And Father, that we have all faith in you, that you are able to deliver on your promises even though we are so unable. Father, we know that we are difficult to work with. 
Father, that we are weak. Father, we are pitiful. Father, no one can do any good. We are helplessly, hopelessly lost without you. And Father, we admit that. And Father, you have chosen to rescue us from that state. And Father, we are a willing people to come back to you. Father, we see that little door of faith. And Father, we want to walk through that door to get back to you. Thank you, Father, for your ways. Thank you, Father, for your many blessings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.